in this session of Look at the Book, we're going to step back and take this entire paragraph. I've probably done, I don't know, I didn't count them, half a dozen labs on the particulars of these verses, but I'm excited about getting the big picture. So that's what we're calling this. How do you get the big picture of a paragraph like this? Or how do you uh, push through the grammar and the clauses and the logic to the reality of how these things actually come about in Christian experience? So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see not just the order in which you put these things in the text, but how they reveal the order that they actually happen in our lives and how we can pursue them in a way that makes them real. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is pose this question. Uh, What are the things that Peter expects us to do in this paragraph? What are the imperatives? What are the expectations, the exhortations? Let's, let's mark them, and then we'll list them, and I'll show you what I want to do with them. And I left out, you can say I left out some things here because those didn't have any expectations in them, and I needed to fit this on the screen. <laughs> Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal fiery trial that is coming upon you. That's the first thing he tells us to do. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. That's number two. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice. I'm not going to circle it again and be glad when his glory is revealed. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. That's number three. But let him glorify God, number four, by that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. That's number five, while doing good. That's number six. So it seems to me that there are at least these six things that Peter says God expects us to do in this paragraph. Now, my question is, how do those relate to each other in reality? Or um, to ask it another way, uh, how do we move from the deepest cause among these six, to the highest goal or purpose among these six. We're not asking about reality outside these six, just among these six, what's the one at the bottom that causes underneath all the others And then what's the one at the top, the highest, to which all the others are leading? And where do the others fall in how they relate to each other as as cause and and effect? So I'm going to put them down here like this. So number one at the bottom. We're going to go from the bottom, deepest cause, to the top. Which of these is at the bottom underneath supporting all the others? Now remember, they're they're all things we're expected to, to do. 
And I'm going to start here. Don't be surprised. Um, not surprised at suffering. Or the way to say it positively would be no suffering comes. This is a this is a knowing, it's a knowing level. Don't be surprised, know something. You should know something. So I'm putting knowledge of a truth at the bottom. So know something. Number two, I'm going to put this next. Yeah, change color here. So first, this one. Now this one, trust God. As you know that suffering is coming, trust God in it. Next. That looks weird, doesn't it? I'm going to go back and keep the same color. No, I'm not. Don't know how to do that. Three. Let him... Which one comes next? Not be ashamed. Don't feel shame for what it means to be one who trusts in God. You will never be put to shame, so don't feel any shame. Four, rather rejoice. So, where's that? Right there. So I'm making that number four. As I'm, as I'm building from knowledge here to trust in God, and trusting in God enables me not to be ashamed. And when I'm not ashamed, I can feel joy. And five, I do good deeds out of the joy that I have in God. I get freed for doing good to those who hurt me, the those who cause me to suffer. And number six, in that way, I glorify God. Now, let me put a name by these, and you'll see maybe why this feels to me so significant. I do this over and over again with paragraphs in the Bible. Try to figure out, given the realities of, of the text, what, how do they relate in reality, not just in the flow of the text? So here, I'm going to call this theology. This is, this is knowing something. That people have to be taught. We could put it, call, it, call it doctrine. Doctrine of suffering. Don't be surprised. That's a teaching that we shouldn't be surprised. I'm going to call this faith in God. Built on doctrine. Because it says trust. I'm going to call this... Um, I, I originally had these two on the same level. Because this is maybe the negative side of joy. Not being ashamed. But... Maybe not being ashamed of what's coming would be called hope. You can just call it freedom from shame if you want to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say um, we'll never be put to shame from back in chapter, back in chapter 2 as hope. And then I'm going to put joy. I'm going to call that the joy level. I'm going to call this love to people because I'm doing good. I'm going to call this God's glory. Now, this basically is a worldview. It's a way of life. 
It's a way of seeing everything and how you live the Christian life and what you do in ministry. You, you, you give knowledge to people. And you encourage, based on that knowledge, people to trust in God, their creator. And out of that trust for the future, you help them see they will never be put to shame. And in the freedom from shame, you cultivate joy among the people. And then out of that joy, good for others overflows as you hope in him and rejoice. And when you do good, as it says in 2.12, God gets glory. You see that pattern over and over again in the Bible because it's not a textual pattern. It's a reality pattern. It's the way God really works.